0: This is the One Body Show, Stewarding God's Creation. This week with Dr. Amy Hogan. God's Infertility, not God's curse. And
1: now, here's Dr. One Amy Hogan. Body. Hello and welcome to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. This is Dr. Amy Hogan. Today our topic is going to be one that affects many people. In fact, one in five of America's couples will experience some type of infertility. Yes, today's topic is one of my favorites, which is uh, how to help couples who are experiencing the tragedy of not being able to achieve a pregnancy, to move forward in their lives together as a couple, and hopefully, someday, have a baby. I think, unfortunately, the experience of infertility is becoming more and more common, and it's also something that is so deep and so spiritual. uh, It's not just a biological phenomenon, but I think it also plays into our very selves, our inner soul, because it affects who we are as male and female. And in a marriage, as Catholics, we've been taught that children are the supreme gift of the marriage, and when that gift seems to be hidden or missing or denied, it really does develop into a deep hurt and a sense of loss. So today we're going to talk about infertility and even if you're not in that place in your life, uh, that you could also help suggest just a few little things to some folks that you know who are experiencing it. I would not um, go above and beyond to tell them to do this or do that because unsolicited advice, of course, is sometimes very disruptive. But praying for those people who are experiencing infertility... Uh, telling them that you love them and also considering maybe giving them a phone number or a website. Those things, I think, probably would be met with love instead of anxiety. As we have just finished up the Christmas season, it's also very appropriate to just realize what God has given us in the gift of baby Jesus. I was thinking the other day that there are several crimes in the world that are incredibly difficult to tolerate. And for me, three of the biggest crimes of our current society, which sometimes even go unnoticed or brushed under the rug, are contraception, abortion, and child abuse. And when you think of the beauty of how Christ came as a child, this is even more apparent. And so Why are these three things seeming to be so directly from the devil? I think it's because they affect the holy innocence of today. Today in our society, we have more holy innocence than ever, I would say. We have a bigger population, and we have more people contracepting and aborting than ever before, and unfortunately... Some of the advocates of contraception in the 1960s were saying that contraception and free access to abortion would decrease child abuse in our society because, of course, the children that were conceived then would always be wanted. But unfortunately, the opposite has occurred, and we see a rise in child abuse from those days until today. And I think part of this becomes that contraception and abortion have made us, especially our couples, into more self-seeking, more self-centered in their relationships than ever. And this is especially a tragedy when you look in the face of the couples who are seeking a pregnancy and are unable to conceive. So it's, it's, it's somewhat maddening. So in honor of the Christ child today, I would just encourage us all to be praying for an end to contraception, abortion, and child abuse, those crimes against the holy innocence of our current society. Let's do begin with prayer today, as prayer should be the center of our lives. Sometimes our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. So today, let's focus on the prayer and especially prayer for those couples experiencing infertility. Dear God, we ask you to be with us, that you would shine on us the light that we need to love one another. And dear God, those who are experiencing infertility, their pain is not just their own, but also is ours, as we would pray and hope that more Catholic couples and Catholic families would be open to life, and open to giving you the gift of themselves. We pray, dear Lord, that you would lead us in this journey to help those couples and also to buoy them up in the times of their sorrow. Dear God, also help us to fight against the crimes of contraception, abortion, and child abuse, which go against the beginning, against the beauty and wonder of children, the holy innocence of our day and age. Dear God, show us the way to light the path. Show us the way to fight evil. Help us to be your good witnesses and turn away from evil. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So today we're going to tackle the topic of infertility, starting with what does our God and our spirituality, our Catholic faith, tell us about experiencing infertility and also about how its treatment can be licit or illicit. In other words, there are treatments in our world today that are quite harmful and that can harm both our bodies, our spirits, and our souls. And there are also treatments that can be helpful to us and the ones we should uh, avoid uh, can definitely be damaging to us. And we don't want to do that. We want to be able to say, We gave God everything we had, and we did not violate his beautiful and wonderful laws about our bodies and his goodness. So keeping it pure and keeping it beautiful and holy is certainly something that we're called to do. Now, unfortunately, this sometimes seems repressive to those who are suffering the infertility. But what I want to say is, in intellectuality, actuality, once you study the issue even deeper, you will find that it is freeing and also allows a couple to more easily move to adoption if that is the best and most beautiful choice for them. So family building, uh, experiencing infertility, and so on, finding the causes and root troubles of the problem certainly gives couples a better understanding of what God is asking of them. I think, unfortunately, in our world today, and including the treatment of infertility, there are many infertility centers that don't ever answer the question of why am I having the trouble or why are we as a couple having the trouble? And so instead of figuring out the deeper root of the cause, uh, the solution then sometimes becomes to jump over the cause and go directly to uh, what's known today as in vitro fertilization, where many of the reproductive endocrinologists really bank on that and they see that no one should be uh, denied that and no one uh, should go without that. And it doesn't really matter the cause of their infertility or the reason that they have troubles. It just matters that the quicker they get to those types of procedures, the better that that reproductive endocrinology thinks that they are. So we're going to talk about God and his word and what the church has to say about the new and also the treatments of infertility that are good or not so good for the body and the soul. Number two, we're going to talk about what are some of the causes of infertility. What should we be looking for as clinicians, and why do people experience the problem? As mentioned, about one in five couples will experience infertility in their lifetime, and sometimes this is focused on the female. Other times, this is focused on the male, and still, finally, at other times, it's focused on both, that together. A couple and their joint fertility does make a difference. So finally, we're going to talk about some of the treatments, both the world's treatments and the newer NAPRO technology treatments, that stands for natural procreative technology treatments, and also give you some Uh, websites and some resources on how to get involved with NAPRO technology. This is certainly not an all-inclusive production or broadcast about infertility, uh, but certainly uh, a couple who is seeking treatment on NAPRO technology would need a consultation and certainly a workup to figure out exactly what's going on. Today is merely an introduction to some of the ideas and processes that are being used in today's Napro technology so in speaking about infertility today I just want to introduce this by saying that infertility is definitely not meant to be a curse you know sometimes we take uh, medical problems and we think why is God doing this to me or why do I have to be the one that suffers this problem and we don't really know I think that Unfortunately, all too many times we think of our health problems or something going on in our life as God is against me or I am doomed. But that's not the case at all. And to prove a point, let's go ahead and talk about a few biblical women. There's biblical women who had infertility, but that doesn't mean that God was against them. In fact, sometimes he used the episode to prove his power and his strength. Let's think about Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And we all know Father Abraham, who became the father of as many as the stars in the sky, remember? So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our father Abraham, was married to Sarah. And if you remember back to the story, Abraham and Sarah were quite advanced in age before God gave them Isaac and he became the father of all these nations. So sometimes it is in God's timing that he does change things and he does it for his own good glory. Now the other thing that's important to remember is that sometimes God is using your life to affect other people's lives and it may not be about you at all. I know that sounds kind of interesting, kind of different, kind of like, what are you talking about? What I mean is, there are times when our own struggle is not about our own personal spiritual growth, but rather about someone in our community, someone else in our world as they are watching you. They may be watching your faith, they may be watching your own dignity and graciousness as you struggle through an issue. They may be just needing to see that someone else is in the struggle with them in this crazy life. So what I wanna say is don't give up. God has a plan and we don't understand it. It's not always in our cards to understand why we struggle with things. In an area of personal struggle, I have suffered two miscarriages in my lifetime, and uh, I do admit that I am blessed with, with several children now, but the fact is, is, you know, it might have been easier, we think it might have been easier to not deal with those struggles, but we don't understand what God had in mind exactly. Going through those things was not easy. We may never know here on earth why we were chosen to suffer. But God does know, and He will use our suffering for His greater glory, no matter what the case. So more women in the Bible who suffered infertility, uh, in fact Rebecca, wife of Isaac. So infertility wasn't only in the first Father of Nations, but in the second, Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. She did eventually conceive and bore Esau and Jacob. Now it goes on. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, who later became the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. So even in the very early fathers of all nations, there was infertility. Uh, but God used this to his glory and his benefit, and he did provide. And then in the New Testament, you'll remember Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, mother of John the Baptist. She was quite on in years when she finally conceived and bore John the Baptist the greatest of all saints, born of woman. So for sure, in the Old Testament, infertility was considered uh, a difficult thing to handle and that the women, you know, they they lamented, they, they were upset and unhappy. Um, interesting how these women truly did understand that God loves life, and they really did uh, want to have children for their husbands. But in the New Testament, of course, there is Elizabeth and Zechariah, and what I want to point out about Elizabeth and Zechariah is in Luke chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it actually points out that they were, quote, upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. So, again, to point out that you may be doing everything right. You may have a wonderful faith. You may have excellent love of God and his church, but it may not mean that you will always be blessed with children. So, I just want people to realize, you couples and all of you grandparents who are suffering with your infertile uh, young people or infertile relatives, that it doesn't have to do with the fact that how strong your faith is or is not. It is that God has a plan and we can't always understand it in full. Now, we're going to move into talking about what. Donum Vitae, an encyclical letter that was written by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith on respect for human life, has to say about instruction on procreation. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, one of my favorite topics, sexuality does have to be introduced. So if you have young listeners, we are going to begin to talk a little bit more intensely about how sexuality plays into infertility. Donum Vitae was written uh, so that we could have a little bit more guidance or understanding on how the church sees artificial reproductive technologies and all of the newer sciences of medicine which have somewhat strained our previous understanding. And this is a quote from Donum Vitae in part two, or I guess the... um, Introduction number two, and it says quote, The rapid development of technological discoveries gives greater urgency to this need to respect the criteria just mentioned. Science without conscience can only lead to man's ruin. Our era needs such wisdom more than bygone ages if the discoveries made by man are to be further humanized. For the future of the world stands in peril unless wiser people are forthcoming. Ending the quote. So in other words, there's a lot of science out there, but it doesn't mean it's all good science. If the science is going to undermine the respect of human dignity, the respect of human life, from the moment of conception to natural death, then that science doesn't lead us to a good direction. In fact, it leads to our ruin. So while the aim of artificial reproductive technology may be quite noble, the aim is wonderful and beautiful to bring new babies to couples suffering infertility. Don't get me wrong. I think that couples being able to have new babies is wonderful and that their goal, their aim in life is beautiful. But the problem is the means to get there doesn't always help them in their spiritual, physical, mental journey. In fact, it may harm them and their offspring. In previous talks, we've discussed Humanae which is the encyclical letter by Pope Paul VI that said, if you're going to have sexual relations, especially in marriage, of course, that you should anticipate the possibility Of babies That having sexual relations means That there could be babies And we should not avoid that at all costs This going into why contraception Can hurt people and marriages Now with Donum Vitae Its whole bent Goes in the direction of We should not be trying to have babies Or obtain babies By going around The sexual activity that there should be a beautiful and wonderful place for the couple in the event of procreation. Does that make sense? In other words, you can't throw out sexuality from the means of having babies. We need this in our couples' lives to help bond them in their love in the production of children. So the sexuality or the sexual act is needed in the relationship of man and woman to bring about the ultimate dignity of the child. And we also have a great witness to our hope, which was Pope John Paul II, who was Pope for the majority of my life so far, who from September 1979 to November of 1984, at every Wednesday audience introduced topic after topic surrounding human sexuality to point out its beauty, its wonder, its dignity, and its sanctification as we progress in our relationship with God. So as one body, one spirit in Christ, the sexual act, the sexuality of our human relationships being male and female makes every difference in how we relate to God. So, in essence, if you pluck the act of having babies away from the beauty of human sexuality, you in many ways dehumanize the procreation of children. And, unfortunately, this is degrading to the entire human race. And I don't mean to be callous or insensitive but let's think about what has happened in the face of this quote unquote scientific progress. I was introduced to artificial reproductive technology when I was a college co-ed. I was in pre-medicine and also in a pre-medicine honor society at Kansas State University. And we had a fellow coming back to speak to the College of Arts and Sciences and also to our pre-med Honor Society about his career in artificial reproductive technology. He had been somewhat of a leader in the area and had made his mark, if you will, and so was considered someone special to come and speak to our group. Before that time, I really didn't have any true understanding of what it is that artificial reproductive technology entailed. So I went to the talk very open-minded, very uh, ready to learn, very interested, thinking that it was quite an interesting topic, you know, having babies and helping to heal and cure infertility. But what I came away with was a quite sour and disgusting taste in my mouth. So he described for us the in vitro fertilization process and the advancements in the technology that they had made. So for those of you who have never really understood what artificial reproductive technology means, I'm going to take you down sort of a process of one month or the beginning of the in vitro fertilization process. Now in vitro in Latin literally means in glass. So in vitro fertilization meaning that you do take away the sexual act from the couple and... And you actually perform the fertilization process in the laboratory that your reproductive technology assistants, the medical technicians in the laboratory, actually get to perform and watch the fertilization process occurring. So you take that away from the couple completely. In the first month or so of getting the process going you also have to think about the cost so what we've done here also is we've now put a cost or a price tag on the human baby okay so oftentimes and I'm gonna just put a lot just talking about a little bit of change here but an extreme price to pay and uh, certainly a precious commodity, but can we put a price tag on any human life? So the process begins by priming the female body and getting it ready to produce massive amounts of female eggs or Oocytes. Those are the female reproductive gametes, the tiny cells that come from the woman's ovaries. So in order to prime her, she's given... Lots and lots of medicine, which induces a huge hormonal response as well as makes her ovaries get hyper productive. The scientists then are hoping to take away 5, 10, maybe 20 eggs from her ovaries in order to plan ahead for the next process, which is the fertilization process. So, woman has to be cranked full of hormones. Uh, given lots and lots of strong medicine to make the ovaries overproductive from their usual uh, one egg per month cycle. So in this case, she's going to make as many as possible and the scientists would want as many healthy eggs as possible and they go in and they do what's called egg retrieval. So they plan that on the doctor's schedule. Um, There in the past have been some women and couples who have Left in vitro fertilization and gone over, come over to NAPRO technology where we watch the cycle closely and watch when she's naturally ovulating. Uh, The reproductive technologists will not listen to what is natural. They will want everything done on their timing. So that alone is a little bit of a red flag. So the woman's body is told to produce. 10 to 20 eggs, as many as possible. Obviously, we can't know exactly how many she will make. The doctor goes in and artificially retrieves those eggs through a a pipette, a needle, and a syringe, if you will, brings them out to the laboratory, hoping that they will survive. So now we've got the eggs in the laboratory, and hopefully that those are doing uh, what the technician wants them to do. Uh, But we also need the sperm. Now this also gets interesting because most of the time the sperm samples are taken in an act of masturbation. Unfortunately, even this goes against the beginning, against the dignity of human life. This goes against the dignity of man himself, and thus is below the dignity of human procreation. Do you get my drift here? So now we've taken woman and we've primed her body, you know, almost mechanically to produce 10, 20 eggs. And then we've asked the man to do something that is illicit, immoral, to produce his gamete, the sperms. And now we're going to take those and bring them to the laboratory. And we're going to try to produce as many embryo babies as possible. Now, on a side note from this, we should also realize that because the couple no longer joins in the fertile act of sexuality, that we do introduce even more moral dilemmas. In fact, we've had court cases that sort of come to case in point. That is, some women are not able to produce eggs at all. So they have an egg donor, another woman outside of the marriage, who allows her body to be used for egg retrieval. And then on the other side of things, there are some men who are not able to produce any sperm at all. Maybe they've had a vasectomy, or maybe they just don't have enough production. And so they allow donors of human sperm that then can enter into this production of the child. So, I guess one of the court cases that was exceedingly just hard to imagine or understand, but we had uh, a couple where they had used an egg donor and a sperm donor and a surrogate mother, and then in the end, whose child is this really? The couple splits up, they no longer have a marriage, who does the baby actually belong to? And even so, Another tragedy involved in a case such as this is let's say that there are 13, 14, 15, 20 embryo produced. Where do these babies go if the couple divorces? Now in the the original case, let's just say that these babies belong to the mother and the father who are trying to produce them. What happens to the babies is also somewhat of a tragedy. It is tragic. They are produced in the lab, so now mother and father may have, let's just be conservative, they may have 10 babies, 10 baby embryo, and they are now before the process of what they call embryo transfer And in the case of embryo transfer, the laboratory technician again is involved, and they choose maybe two to three of the healthiest babies. So what we are now introducing is biological selection in the eyes of the human. In other words, we choose the fittest, the most productive, the most robustly dividing Cells of baby embryo. We take these baby embryo, and then the doctor tries to put them into the womb of the woman, who is in the meantime getting primed with more hormones, more hormones, more hormones to try to make her uterus ready to host babies. But they select two to three, say out of these 10, maybe 20, and they introduce these to the uterus of the woman. Now, even in this conservative circumstance, you can see that we are introducing a problem because the doctor is truly only hoping for one or two to implant. In other words, for one or two babies to make a home in the uterus. And like I said, sometimes they will try to use one, two, three, sometimes even four embryo babies to transfer back into the mother to increase quote-unquote, increase their odds of producing a successful, healthy pregnancy. Every doctor, of course, wants to have success and be known for their success in what they do. So increasing the odds of having a baby out of your procedure is, of course, desirable. So in the beginning, there were times when people would go for even more embryo babies during their embryo transfer so that they would have better success numbers. And this is also somewhat tragic because what it also means is we've had massive amounts of embryo baby loss. Are you with me here? In other words, picking out five babies to transfer back into the uterus could certainly mean that you may lose four of them or in many cases, all of them. So what I also don't think that people realize is that in vitro fertilization and artificial reproductive technology is not all that successful. In fact, maybe one in five of the couples who are started into the process actually come home with a baby. So maybe 25, 30% successful at best, Uh, Maybe as low as 20% of the couples who enter the process have a baby. And it certainly may not happen on the first month. So you've done all of these things to prepare and to prime female body, male body. All of these processes have occurred. Egg retrieval, sperm production by masturbation, fertilization of human babies, in the lab, cold storage, frozen storage, thawing out these babies to transfer back into the uterus of the woman. All of these processes have already happened. And out of this, you may bring no new life. But instead, you may have massive human destruction. You see, let's go back to this couple and let's say that they had 20 embryo babies that were able to be produced in the lab. And let's say they use four embryo babies each time they transfer babies back into the uterus. And they would only do, like I said, those four every month. So then let's say they went through the process five months. And the average couple that does in vitro fertilization, the estimate is that they uh, go through the process for three months. And part of this is because it's extremely hard on the couple, it's extremely hard on the woman especially, who has to be primed with all of these hormones and all of these shots and all of these uh, different treatments to prime and pump and prepare the body for the embryo transfer time. So let's go down to the nitty gritty Five months later They may have spent upwards of $50,000 or more And they may come Home and come away from the Entire process With no Live baby And I don't Mean to be callous and I don't mean to be Rude and I don't mean to cause anxiety Every baby that Does come out of in vitro fertilization Is worth all of our human respect. Every human on earth, every infant, every child, is to be respected as God's creation. But what I'm getting into here is very, very detailed outline of how the in vitro fertilization process dehumanizes the production of children. It takes it out of our hands and puts it into the hands of only the reproductive technologist. And the other point, which is quite clear, is that you may have destroyed massive human life if we believe as Catholics that each embryo baby at the time of conception has full human dignity Just as a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a teenager, an adult has full human dignity, it also means that there is mass destruction of human babies all in the name of trying to produce one child. Another of the tragedies that many couples come away with is that they are never really to the bottom of their true reproductive health problem. In other words, they may come to the conclusion that, oh, maybe the woman's tube is blocked or there's not enough sperm count. But to see the actual biological reality of What else could be causing the problem? Are there hormonal imbalances? Are there metabolic disturbances? Are there other true definitions or diagnoses that go along with the mechanical or the numeric uh, problem with the couple's infertility? They often are still scratching their heads as to why me? Why am I infertile? So let's take a break now. Keep praying. We know that many, many people are affected by this problem. And so not to be insensitive, but to be in love with the wonderful people out there who are struggling with infertility. We're going to come back on the other side of the break and talk about the causes of infertility. So stay tuned. This is One Body, stewarding God's creation with Dr. Amy Hogan. One
0: One body creation You're listening to One Body Stewarding God's Creation One Body One Body And Fertility
1: One Body With Dr. Amy Hogan
0: One body God's creation
1: Hello and welcome back to One Body Stewarding God's Creation This is Dr. Amy Hogan Today we're going to finish up by discussing the causes of female infertility I understand I just don't have too much time left So what I'd like to do is do another segment in the next month or so About the treatments of infertility using Napro technology, also comparing that to the world's way of treatment, the current assisted reproductive technology, and if God's grace allows, I'd like to invite a couple or a woman to come on the show and to discuss their journey of faith and hope uh, for a baby. So. This is such a complex topic and and very interesting. I don't think we have enough time to address all of the things that I was hoping to do today, but we will get there. If you yourself are facing infertility or know someone who is, uh, please feel free to contact our office at 785-404-1603, and we will discuss becoming a new patient. We want you to have all the information you need before you make uh, decisions And we want you to also feel like you have support in this crazy world. We know that infertility is a very tough thing to face. And we don't want you to go at it alone. So going back to our topic, let's just discuss a little bit more about the causes. And we're going to hone in particularly on female infertility. I'm going to use a little bit of one of my favorite resources, which is uptodate.com. It discusses infertility in a lot of the ways of assisted reproductive technology. So the causes, however, of infertility are not that much different between the couples who seek assisted reproductive technology the world's way and the couples who seek NAPRO technology. It's just that we sometimes uncover even more when we look at the causes and the root changes that may have determined the problem. Dr. Hilgers, one of my mentors who's in Omaha, Nebraska, which would be another great resource for all of you, when speaking, he says that he has found about 70% of the women who are referred to him... When he does diagnostic laparoscopy, in other words, looking into the pelvis to see if there's any structural reasons for infertility, he says he finds 70% of the time that these wonderful women have endometriosis. Endometriosis is when the cells from the lining of the uterus have gotten away from the uterus somehow, and they've attached to other tissues in the pelvis, for example places like the outer part of the ovary the fallopian tubes even the bowel and the wall of the inner part of the pelvis the endometriosis has been known to go almost everywhere almost like a cancer now it doesn't like a cancer kill people but it does invade other tissues it does also cause a significant amount of pain at times where Women month to month will say, this is very, very difficult to bear. What's also curious, though, is some women who have endometriosis do not suffer the sort of pain that we usually typically assign to that. And um, sometimes the pain is not concordant with or uh, in proportion to the amount of endometriosis in the pelvic cavity. Uh, Dr. Hilders has stated that he sometimes sees just very little endometriosis cause a huge amount of pain, and he, but he's also seen women who are full of endometriosis who don't complain of pain, but certainly complain of infertility and concerns for being unable to become pregnant. The other thing it's known about endometriosis is that most of the women who are suffering from that have a lower hormonal complement, especially in the second phase of their cycle. So the endometriosis itself seems to set them up for difficulty with their hormonal balance, which certainly would then also contribute to why they are unable to become pregnant or to remain pregnant. So one excellent resource also for all of you who are facing infertility or know someone who is, is the Pope Paul VI Institute where Dr. Hilgers and his colleagues, Dr. Thomas Hilgers and his colleagues, he has two female partners who are currently helping him and working with him. They can be reached by calling 402-390-6600, that's 402-390-6600, and they would be happy to take your call. They do uh, not necessarily need a referral, and so if you would like to refer yourself to go to Pope Paul VI Institute to be evaluated for fertility concerns, you may do that. What they do want you to do is to start by charting your cycle using the Creighton Model Fertility Care System, and they usually will want you to have six to eight weeks of good charting done before you present to the clinic. For other specific requirements or entrance information, please do call the Institute to inquire. And now back to more causes of particularly female infertility. Now, when I was a younger student, I would say that my thought was on infertility is you either ovulate or you didn't. In other words, I thought if you had an egg released every month, that meant you were definitely fertile. However, since being a student of Dr. Hilgers and Pope Paul VI Institute, Creighton Model Fertility Care, and NAPR technology, I've learned that there are multiple ovulation disorders. In other words, it's not just about is there an egg, yes or no, but what is the quality and the size of and the frequency and how robust is that follicle that then produces the egg or oocyte that helps a woman to be fertile. Up to date estimates that 25% of women in their cause of infertility has to do with ovulation disorders. Now, what I would claim in my knowledge is that there are probably multiple women with ovulation disorders, however, who also have multi-fect causes. In other words, they may have an ovulation disorder and they also may have endometriosis or another type of problem that's causing their issue. I don't think that most of the cases relate to one single cause. Now, what's also interesting is that the ovulation disorder, of course, could lead to hormonal imbalance later on again in that Magical second phase of the cycle when baby is looking to implant or find a home. What I think is exciting in NAPRO technology is the research that's being done in order to study ovulation and to understand it more fully. Uh, Whether it's follicle tracking by ultrasound or doing hormonal profile before ovulation, these things all give more indication as to what's going on. There are some rare ovulatory disorders disorders called the empty follicle syndrome, for example, where the follicle or the cyst on the ovary will grow. However, when it ruptures to, quote unquote, release an egg, there just is no egg to be found. Not at all. And what's interesting about this is that for these particular women, this is again pretty rare, but for these particular women there just isn't a lot of necessity in pushing forward for them in seeking to conceive on their own. They just don't have any eggs to release. They don't have any ability to make an egg that could become a baby embryo. So for these women, it becomes easier for them to accept adoption because they know the root cause of their problem. So finding that cause is so important to helping couples to understand and to process and to get to what is the next step for their family. Now, if the artificial technologist actually went far enough to understand if the woman had this type of ovulation disorder, they would then probably refer her to egg donation or using someone else's eggs. Uh, to advance to artificial reproductive technology in vitro fertilization. And, of course, we talked about earlier in the show what sort of dilemmas this can cause. Another cause of female reproductive difficulty is pelvic adhesions. Adhesions are difficult because they don't always cause pain, and they don't show up on ultrasound or CAT scan or X-ray they're little spider webby like tissues that get attached to the uterus the fallopian tubes the ovaries that would then block the actual movement of an egg from the ovary down into the fallopian tube and to the right place for fertilization in the body fertilization in the body occurs in not the uterus but the fallopian tube so it's also quite important that those tubes are open and ready to accept an egg. Now, what causes pelvic adhesions? Almost anything that's touched the pelvis in that woman's life. For example, if she's had a previous surgery in the pelvis, for whatever reason, it could be having an appendix that ruptured and had to have surgery for that. It could be that she had pelvic inflammatory disease or any type of sexually transmitted disease. Even gallbladder surgery or ovarian cyst removal, anything and everything where surgery was done in the pelvis and may not have been so discreet as to keep those tissues in the pelvis untouched, it doesn't take much to form what's called an adhesion. They are just tricky because when you go in to do the surgery, if you are touching other parts of the bowel or touching other parts of the pelvic wall with any instruments. It just gives rise to the possibility of developing these tissues. Dr. Hilders has developed what he calls nearly adhesion-free surgery techniques. So he tries to use very gentle techniques, also using biogel gloves to move the bowel around. In other words, touching the bowel with something that is more similar to its own type of tissue. One thing that's thought to have caused some people to have adhesions is the use of powder in latex gloves. The fact that that can be an irritant to the wall of the bowel and that that could spark off the growth of adhesions. Another female cause of infertility is again tubal blockage. And the Blockage may not occur exactly due to adhesions, but it may be caused due to infection and inflammation. A previous tubal pregnancy or scarring certainly can disrupt tubal function as well. And I've even had some women who have had a tubal pregnancy who have come to the clinic and they only have one tube left, so that certainly could contribute to their difficulty of trying to get pregnant. This is not, however, a cause for despair. Certainly having one open tube gives you a chance, and we try to make the best of our chances by understanding their body using Creighton Model and Napro technology. Another cause that's been studied and well-documented is hyperprolactinemia. In other words, some women will make a hormone called prolactin in an elevated level even though they are not nursing Prolactin, which sounds like lactation, is a type of hormone that rises when a woman is naturally lactating. After having a baby and milk production occurs, lactation increasing this hormone to help the milk supply to continue. Now, with or without nipple discharge or leaking of milk, a woman can have hyperprolactinemia, which would then shut down the normal function of of the pituitary gland in the brain, changing the hormonal balance of the woman, and possibly also disrupting the possibility and chances of normal ovulation every month. Finally, we'll discuss briefly uterine anomalies. If the uterus doesn't have a normal shape, in other words, uh, doesn't have the particular shape, which is a lot like a, an upside-down pear. maybe it has two horns or only one horn on the side of the uterus, this can be difficult because a baby may not have as many places to implant, and this could make uh, becoming pregnant or staying pregnant quite difficult. Now, this is definitely not an all-inclusive discussion of all of the different causes of female infertility, and as mentioned, many of the cases that we see, many of the women that we see have a multifactorial cause, including when you add the man or the joint fertility to the picture, you may have even more things to discuss. Unfortunately, we are running short on time today, so we will go ahead and close up with a prayer. Stay tuned and keep coming back for our next discussion, probably in the next one month on Uh, as we do a female topic every month. And we're hoping to do more on the treatments of infertility, uh, which would also continue to discuss some of the causes, as well as help people to understand what can be done. There is hope. So let us pray. Dear God, we just ask that you would be with us this day that for all of the women and men and their families who are facing infertility, that you would be with them. Show them the light. Show them that there are wonderful means and methods of learning about their bodies. Give them the hope that is in you, dear God, that your timing would be everything and that you would be their comfort and their guide. Dear Lord, help us in our own ways to value fertility wherever we are in the place in our lives. Help us to welcome children into our human family and help us not neglect those who are needy. Being pro-life may also mean feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, especially those uh, orphans or those little ones who need our help and our love and protection. Dear God, show us the way to you and to your heart and help us to be strong to make your church a better place that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. So let us also end with the St. Michael prayer. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the day of battle. Be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We thank you for taking the time to tune in today to One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. This has been Dr. Amy Hogan.
0: Thanks for tuning into One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsburg salina 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.